Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Shaw, and it's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. Got an amazing show for you tonight. We love the end of the week because we get to talk about what's going on in the world. The insane, the crazy, the interesting. I got an amazing show for you. You hear me? We're going to talk about Tyree Nichols. I'm going to say something about Tyree Nichols and that entire case, a situation that nobody else has said. What I'm going to say tonight, you've not heard anywhere else, period. I stake my reputation on it. I'm gonna tell you about a 93-year-old man who married a 23-year-old woman, and he's famous. We're gonna talk about that. And a man was lost at sea, and miraculously, his family found a way to find him. All tonight, here on The Book of Sean. Highly play the bumper, man. Headlines. So, listen, everybody, by now, we have all uh, heard and dealt with the Tyree Nichols situation. And now a total of seven police officers have been relieved of duty and or fired by the Memphis Police Department after they brutally, senselessly, needlessly, tragically beat Tyree Nichols to death on a dark Memphis street. And instead of going through a long list of, you know, who was fired or put on leave and who's been charged, um, versus how many people were just you know, suspended because, you know, there's a whole rigmarole with that. Why don't we just say that everybody involved in this case, everybody involved in this situation who either put hands on this young man or stood by and watched other people put hands on this young man or did not provide him with the adequate medical care after these people put their hands on this young man, everybody involved in either one of those three situations, all of them should be fired. Clearly, some of them should be charged. That's not the part that you've never heard before. I'm getting to that. But I just want to be clear that whether it's the white police officers whose body cam uh, we get to see some of the footage from, or whether it's the cops that stood him up so that another black cop could punch him in the face, all of them should lose their jobs and the appropriate ones should be, you know, charged and sent to jail for murder. So nobody should get away with the innocent murder of this brilliant and obviously kind young man. The amazing thing about Tyree Nichols was that even as he was being killed, he never lost his cool. Even as he was being killed and brutally beaten in the street, he never was not nice. He never was not generous. It's an amazing thing. I don't think people talk about that enough. His disposition and his spirit, even in the moment and at the hour of death, it makes me admire him. On some level, it makes me wish and hope that when I'm at that place at the end of my life, either whatever, by whatever means I get there, that I will have that same kind of dignity and that same kind of comportment. I ain't so sure that I will. But that ain't the part that you've never heard of before. You've heard people say that about Tyree. But the part that you've never heard of before and that I'm going to say on this show that nobody else is going to say is that you know, I heard that, I don't know if this is true, but I heard it on social media, so it could be a lie. But I heard that the fraternity that three of these police officers or former police officers belong to, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, I heard, I don't know if it's true, that they rescinded, canceled uh, their mem the, the membership of, the, of these three officers. So the officers were members of a black fraternity, uh, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. And from what I heard on social media, I don't know if it's true, the fraternity said, you ain't part of this brotherhood and this fellowship anymore. Now, let's assume for the case and for the sake of this discussion that it's true. 
that Omega Psi 5 said to these, at least the three that belong to Omega Psi 5, we don't want you in the fraternity. Here's the part that you've never heard anybody say about this case or this situation before. This is the first time that you are going to hear this anywhere. Stake my reputation on it. Because not only should Omega Psi Phi say that we don't want these, these killers in our fraternity, and they're not a part of, don't represent our brotherhood, the black community in Memphis should do the same thing. Please remember that all five of these officers are walking around Memphis right now because they're all out of jail on bail. They've all been released on bail, and they're all back in the Memphis community. And what you've never heard anybody say on any other show in any other place in this country is that the black community in Memphis should wholly, totally, and completely reject these five black men and say to them in no uncertain terms, we love you, you are a part of us, but your money's not welcome here. Your time, your, your, your space, your presence isn't welcome here. Now, you know these five black guys probably go to a black barbershop. And they probably have black barbers. And the barbershop and the owner of that shop and their barbers are to say to them, you have disrespected and dishonored our people. You have disrespected and dishonored our struggle. And you have killed one of our own. And your money is not welcome in this barbershop. Go on over to a white barbershop and let them cut your hair. Since you want to act like white supremacists and beat black people to death. And it's not about ostracizing or denying or rejecting. It's about saying to black people the same thing we say to white people. Black lives matter. And if you kill one of us, there are consequences and repercussions. Now, we still love these brothers because they are one part of us. But they ought to be completely forced to deal with the consequences and the accountability of the black community saying to them, you can't walk around like you didn't do nothing. Don't come in here and try to buy something, buy some flowers or some, get a haircut like nothing happened. No, 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 no. You going over there with the white folks because that's who you acting like. You ain't never heard that nowhere. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about Elaine Child, people. So, I never understood why people don't respond adequately when Donald Trump makes fun of them, okay? It's not as if Donald Trump is witty or intelligent, overwhelmingly sarcastic to the degree that nobody can find the language or the words to respond to the foolishness that comes out of his mouth. In fact, Donald Trump sounds like a third grader when he assaults people. It's, it's, it's third grade level. He's about nine, eight years old. That's the level that he insults people at. But finally, someone has decided to step up and respond. Former Transportation Secretary Elaine Child called out former President Donald Trump for his racist attack on her and anti-Asian rhetoric. And I say finally because Donald Trump has attacked Elaine Child before. He's made fun of her heritage many, 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 many times in the past. Here's a woman who served as the first Asian American to hold a position in the presidential cabinet, being appointed Labor Secretary by George W. Bush and served under Donald Trump as his transportation secretary, and yet he insists on calling her, wait for it, Coco Child. Her name is not Coco. Her name is Elaine. Elaine don't even sound like Coco. He openly blatantly calls this woman a name that is obviously an anti-Asian racist trope. Rooted in racism. Rooted in all the things that Donald Trump seems to fester in 
needlessly and endlessly. So, I won't read Elaine Child's entire statement and her response to Donald Trump, but it boils down to pretty much Elaine Child saying, Donald Trump and what he says about Asian Americans and the Asian community uh, says more about who he is than it does about the Asian community. And while I'm happy that Elaine Child finally decided to open her, up her mouth, and I should add that she's married to Mitch McConnell, the senator from Kentucky, and I'm glad that she decided to open up her mouth and finally defend herself and finally, you know, defend her community because sometimes when people pick on you, you don't say nothing, it gives them license to keep saying some of the things that they know hurts your feelings and reduces you into silence. I'm happy she, you know, was dignified in her little response, but when somebody's been picking on you for years and they come after your people and they make fun of your culture, her response ain't the one that I would recommend. What you say about me reflects more about you than it does on me. It's dignified. I got it. It's cool. It's collective, right? It's a response. But that's not what I would say. Lane Child, if you're watching, I'm going to give you a little practice on what you should have said to Donald Trump. Here's what you should have said. You should have said, Donnie. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. You should have said, Donnie. I'm so sorry that you grew up in a house where the people that lived in that house didn't love you. I'm so sorry that you, I'm so sorry rather that your mama didn't hug you enough and that your daddy didn't give you validation and make you feel important. And that somewhere in the, in the, in the, between the hallway and the bathroom, nobody taught you that you can have love and affection without also need, needing to tear other people down. Donnie, I am so sorry that you didn't have the kind of relationships a person ought to have in the very formative part of your life that makes you confident, not in your whiteness or in your maleness or your straightness, because it's obvious, Donnie, that if you weren't white and if you weren't male and if you weren't straight, you'd have nothing else to offer the world. You have no gifts. You're not gifted at anything. You're not good at anything. And everything you put your hand on fails. Shall we go over the list? You ran a, a football franchise into the ground. You ran an airline into the ground. You ran hotels into the ground. You ran casinos into the ground. And you damn near ran America into the ground. You are terrible at everything you do. And I'm absolutely sorry that you keep on losing. Because you're a loser. Elaine, that's how you do that, okay? Next time he bothers you, you watch this tape. <laughs> All right, let's do one more. We might take this break. Let's talk about pinball. Doesn't sound exciting. Didn't make your big toe shoot up in your boot, but you're about to enjoy this. Sit down, people. Let me tell you a little story. It begins like this. Did you know that in the 1800s, children in South Carolina, that since the 1800s, rather, children in South Carolina, it's been illegal for them to play pinball? Did you know that, Marty? They can't play pinball. You heard me. It's illegal for children in South Carolina right now since the 1800s to play pinball. Pinball! Now, most of the kids watching this show right now, most of the people in their 30s or 20s watching this show right now, you probably never played pinball a day in your life. Pinball, probably the last of the pinball generation was probably mine. But anyway, it's illegal for children under the age of 18 to play pinball in South Carolina. Apparently there's a law that dates back more than, you know, um, 60 years, 
60 years, got to be more than 60 years, but whatever it is, um, where playing pinball was associated with gambling. And so in South Carolina, people played pinball, and it was associated with gambling, so they passed the law that said if you're under 18, you can't play pinball. And though the circumstances have changed, the law has not. The law is still on the book. So if you go to, I don't know where people go to play pinball anymore. Arcade's still around? I don't know. But wherever you go to play pinball, and if you go there and you're under 18 and the police are there, you can go to jail. Literally. Because there is a law that says it's illegal for you to play pinball in South Carolina. If you're 13 and you're playing pinball in South Carolina, stop it. Go home and watch this show. <laughs> All right, but have no fear, my friends. Have no fear. Do not fret. Do not let the worry of the world whisk you away. They're going to pass a law that says now, from now on, henceforth and forevermore, if you're a child, you can play pinball in South Carolina. Yes. There's a new law on the, that's going on the books that will repeal the old law that made it illegal for children to play, to play rather, pinball. Okay. Let me just say a few things before we take this break. Apparently, um, pinball is a big thing in South Carolina. I hear that it's booming. Okay? Apparently, people are really loving this thing. And um, I don't know of any children that are gathering around playing pinball. I'm not around kids a lot anymore, but the kids that I do know, none of them talk about. I don't, I don't know what this pinball fixation is in South Carolina, okay? South Carolina's an interesting place. I visited there many times, but I don't want to live there. So, you know, here's my number one thing. Don't the people in South Carolina got better things to do than to pass laws about pinball? Like, you mean to tell me that the, the House of Representatives in the, uh, of South Carolina, the legislature there, this is like one of the top things that they have to do? That they literally have to go in and pass a law? Y'all ain't got nothing better to do in South Carolina to make the state a better place for people to live. Now, South Carolina is not one of the richest states in this country. It does not have one of the highest, highest reading levels in the country. It does not have one of the highest graduating or college attending rates or levels in this country. And y'all want to spend your legislative time passing a law to make it legal for kids to play pinball. You do know that most kids are playing Xbox, right? PS2? And whatever game, I don't know, what other games are there? On their phones! Thank you! What Most kids are playing on their phones. They're not playing pinball. Because nobody knows where you go to play pinball anymore. But that doesn't stop the legislature of South Carolina for trying to figure it out. So, my dear friends, as I go to this break, let me simply say, how about we focus our energy and time and intelligence on things that actually affect people's lives not things that used to affect people's lives because because what affects me today may not be the same things that used to affect me a long time ago okay now apply that to your life writ large in every area of your life apply that okay don't worry about fixing yesterday's problems today fix today's problems right now okay when we come back I'm going to tell you about a 93-year-old man that married a 23-year-old woman. I'm going to tell you about what's going on in Louisiana. The state of Louisiana should be arrested for arresting people. I'll explain when we come back right after this.
Welcome back, everybody. Got a lot more to book a Sean for you. So let's talk about Louisiana. This story might infuriate you, but, you know, sometimes getting mad is important. James Baldwin said to be black in this country is to be in a constant state of rage. <laughs> and I got some rage material for you. State of Louisiana has apparently been in the business and about the practice and the custom of detaining people in prison longer than the date of their scheduled release. You heard me. An investigation discovered that a pattern existed, a systematic pattern exists over detention and the length of detentions uh, propagated by Louisiana prisons upon people who are supposed to be out of prison and Louisiana just keeps them in there a little bit longer. And that this practice goes back over a decade. So over a decade, it has been the case that Louisiana has been holding people in prison after the day that they're scheduled to be released. A federal agency that reviews these things said that there is reasonable cause to believe that the state routinely confines people in its custody past the date when they're legally entitled to be released. So all of us know that this is a violation of the 14th Amendment concerning due process, which says that you have a right to a speedy trial, and that you have the right not to be detained without just cause or beyond the term of your incarceration. I'm no lawyer, so I'm just paraphrasing what the amendment says, okay? They don't call me lawyer, Sean, they call me something else. Somebody, see, somebody needs to explain to me how Louisiana has gotten away with holding people hostage for 10 years and none of us knew about it. How is it possible that Louisiana is holding people in jail longer than they need to be there or, or happen to be legally prescribed to stay there for 10 years. How is it even possible that this systematic practice, practiced by an entire state and its Department of Corrections, has existed for 10 years and none of us in the rest of the country, California, New York, Arkansas, Miami, wherever you are, we know nothing about it. Somebody tell me how that's possible. The state of Louisiana has been holding people hostage and in a state of involuntary servitude. Because that's the only way you describe a situation where people are free to go, but the Department of Corrections won't let them leave. If I hold you against your will and you have no legal obligation to remain, we call that a hostage situation. And if I make you do things, tell you when you can eat, get up, sleep, and make you work, and you have no, you have no obligation to listen to anything that I'm saying, then I put you in involuntary servitude, also known as slavery. So you mean to tell me that state of Louisiana has been holding people hostage and subjected them to bondage and slavery past the time of their prescribed legal requirement to submit to such craziness, and none of us knew about it. We were too busy shaking our behinds on TikTok. Yes, you know, doing the little dance they do. I can't even do it. My hips don't work like that. I'm too old to be shaking my hips like that. Anyway, see, thankfully, there are a few formerly incarcerated people that are suing the state of Louisiana. And thankfully, they are suing them for holding them longer than the prescribed timeline legally adjudicated and prescribed to their arrest and their incarceration. Thankfully, formerly incarcerated people happen to be dealing with this. But I just want to say to all the rest of us who've never been incarcerated, never seen the inside of a jail, maybe never even visited one, certainly never been arrested, certainly never been, you know, 
assigned to spend time behind bars? How about the rest of us join with formerly incarcerated people and give a damn about this? How about the rest of us decide that this is a battle that formerly incarcerated people should not have to fight by, by themselves or simply for themselves? How about the rest of us decide that it's wrong for a Department of, a Department of Corrections holding people hostage is not something we should just pass on and go to sleep and act like nothing happened? Yeah. You know why? Just in case you're confused. You know why you should give a damn about this? Because it's somebody else's son today, but it might be yours tomorrow. How about that? All right. Since we're on outrage, this story, listen, man, <clears throat> this is the one of the most infuriating, frustrating stories that I have ever come across in all the time that I've done this show. One of the great things about this show, since we changed the format not too long ago, uh, is we added these Feature Fridays where we do all of these headlines. And since the day we started doing headlines, there, is, there is ne has never been a story that made me more angry and made me more, I don't, I don't have, I, and you know I'm good with language. I don't even have the language for this. Please, whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're doing, just stop and listen to this story, okay? Just give yourself the, the moment that we're gonna have together. So one day Eugene Price walks into a police station in the middle of, um, you know, doing whatever he happened to be doing that day. Uh, he was in, no doubt, a, a defined mental health crisis at the moment that he walked in. Mr. Price was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, and he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And one day he walks into a police station, and, you know, he's, he's walking around with the officers doing his hand like this, you know, pointing it at the police officers. Clearly nobody in their right mind, who's in a good, healthy mental state, is going to walk into a police station and start acting like they're shooting cops especially being black. Clearly, and clearly Mr. Eugene Price was having a moment, a mental health crisis. And because policing is what is, and because policing is what it is in this country, the only thing the police thought to do about it was to arrest him. Now they say that they wanted to help him because it looked like he was actually having a problem. But the only way that they thought that they could help him was to arrest him. So they arrested him. They arrested Mr. Price under felony charges for terroristic threatening, for doing this. I don't, I don't even know how to do I, This is how you do a gun with your finger? For doing this. They arrested him for, terrorist, for felony for terroristic threatening for doing this. Making a gun with your finger and acting like you're shooting somebody. If you think that that's crazy and it's bad, no, we haven't gotten to the bad part yet. I need you to keep listening. <clears throat> so they put him in prison. He's locked up and goes before a judge, and the judge sets his bail for $1,000. So he should have had to pay $100, and that should be the end of this story, right? Bail sets, a judge sets bail for $1,000, you pay 10%, $100, it should be over. But because Mr. Price was destitute, <clears throat> did not have any money, he couldn't pay the $100. So guess what he had to do? He had to go back to jail. He went back to jail. And here's where the story takes on its most tragic undertaking. They arrested him, sent him before a judge. Bail was set, couldn't pay the bail. He goes back to jail, and he languishes in the jail. 
He lingered in the jail. And from the moment they took him to jail to the moment they came back to the cell where they put him in a year later, everything in his life went wrong. Mr. Rice was put, Mr. Price rather, was put into solitary confinement. And one year later, at the age of 51, he was found dead in his jail cell with his eyes open, naked, and starved. You heard me. Eugene Price starved to death in an Arkansas jail in the United States of America because nobody fed him and he died from starvation. So much so that Mr. Price resorted to eating his own feces and drinking his own urine in the cell. He was 200 pounds when they took him in, when they arrested him. He was 90 pounds when they found him in his cell after he starved to death. And an autopsy was done that proved that Mr. Price starved to death in his cell. In the United States of America, a black man starved to death in his cell. The reality is the police should have never arrested him. Walking around pointing your finger at police is not a criminal offense. It's not a terroristic threat. There should have been something else the police could have done to help this man who was having a mental health breakdown at the moment. Point number two, the judge should have never gave him bail. The judge should have released him on his own recognizance. The judge should have either released him out into the street to be free and to live his life, or ordered him to go into some kind of treatment program to get help for his issues and his problems. But the police didn't give a damn, and the judge didn't give a damn. And finally, the people who ran the prison didn't give a damn. Because while the police should have not have arrested him, and the judge should not have given him bail, the prison should have fed him. But they didn't. They didn't care about his humanity. And he died. 200 pounds when he went into jail, 90 pounds when he got out. And this is America. All right. Let's change gears. <laughs> let's, uh, let's change gears, all right? Let's talk about white people. <laughs> yes. Come on, people. Stay with me. The Potters. Let's talk about the Potters. You'll see why I say white people in a second. The Potters are a family from Canada who are currently flying around the world in a small little engine plane. I don't know how many engines that plane has, but there it is. Yes, the Potters are about halfway through a 14-month tour around the world in their little tiny plane. They just say that they're going to be in this plane that you see right there for 14 months flying around the world. That's not a big plane, people. That's not a 747 or anything close to it. That's a little plane. So this little plane is where the, where the Potter family is where they're going to live for 14 months. 14 months. And Ian Potter is the father. He's also a private pilot who's been flying for about 40 years. His wife and three children, all from Vancouver, set out on June 15th. And they've been basically traveling every, since, every single rather day since then. Now, I'm all for traveling, okay? I'm all for seeing the world. But let's go back to how we started. This is some white people mess, okay? There ain't no other way to say it. I'm sorry. This is some white people mess, people. White people, you know I love you. Yes, I do, because I love all of God's children. 
I love even I I I I even love the people God made that I don't like. I, I, listen, I love white folks. Love, love I'm no this ain't nothing you know negatively read. But this is some white people mess people. Okay, can I cannot imagine a black family living in a tiny plane for 14 months talking about we flying around the world. Can you imagine a black family? Is that how many black families do you know would get in a little plane and for 14 months? Talking about we gonna fly around the world. Now, I could definitely imagine a black family deciding to travel the world, but we gonna do it in a big plane. <laughs> it's gonna be a nice plane, and the journey can only take at most two weeks. We can't be around each other for no 14 months. It'd <laughs> be a lot of problems on that plane, okay? Now, just like every other people, black people have our mess too. So when I say this is white people mess, that don't mean that I don't think black people, we got our mess too. Here's an example. We talk through movies. <laughs> I don't want, that's some black people mess. I don't know why we talk through movies. The person on the screen cannot hear you. But if you don't know what white people mess is, I got a little list, I'm gonna give it to you before I take this break. So not only is it white people mess to hop in a little plane and decide to spend 14 months flying around the world together, here's some more white people mess. Number one, pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie is some white people mess. Black people, we don't do the pumpkin pie. Oh, more white people mess. This is the biggest one. Going outside when you hear a suspicious and strange noise to check it out. White people mess. When black people hear strange noise, you know what we go do? Hide. We, we don't go check out the noise. Let's go see what that was. Bonnie, let's go. No, some white people mess. More white people mess. You ready for this? Hitchhiking and getting into cars with strangers. White people mess. Here's, 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 here's a couple more and I'm gonna take this break. Standing in lines. White people love to stand in lines. You know what black people think when we see a line? How can I cut it? <laughs> How can I get around this? White people will stand in the line and get mad if you don't want to stand in the line too. Here's the last thing. Last bit of white people mess. White people will sit in a movie and watch all of the credits till the end, till there's nothing left on the screen. Black folks ain't doing that, unless it's a Marvel movie. We wanna see what the coming attraction is, but as soon as that goes off, we ain't watching them credits. Anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna do some best things. And a 93-year-old man marries a 23-year-old woman. <laughs> there's hope for us all. We'll be right back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We were talking about white people and black people mess, respectively. I got one more black people's mess, putting hot sauce on everything. I'm telling you, because I do it. I put, I put hot sauce on pancakes if I can get away with it. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. So one of the reasons I love End of the Week shows is that I get to show you some of the things that are just endearing and charming. And tonight's been a little, you know, we've had a, we've had a lot of rage tonight. Louisiana holding people hostage. Uh, Eugene Price starving to, de to death, rather, in prison. Tyree Nichols. We've had a little seriousness going on. So I thought in this best, best things that we've uh, seen all week, we might change it up a little bit. Bring a little joy. Bring a little happiness. Heidi, play the bumper, man. Best things. So um, take a look at this video of a baby learning how to do something new and enjoying one of the 
little joys in life. Yay! 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 <laughs> Do it one more time. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. That is everything, isn't it? That's what joy. See, we like to think that we're happy, but compared to that little kid's joy, we don't even know what happiness is. I, I pray, I pray to everything that is greater than us, that everybody watching this show, everybody involved with this show, me, you, all of us, that we would know that kind of joy before it's all over. That kind of sublime happiness, not in doing something, you know, extravagant or something excessive, but just doing something simple brought joy to that little kid. I don't know if it's a girl or boy, but it doesn't matter. That kid had joy. And I want that for all of us. I want it for you. You know, we can learn a lot from children. The Bible says, except ye be as children, you will not enter into the kingdom. And the master was right. We need to know what it is to reclaim that, to have it back, and to make it ours. Yeah. I wish you joy. All right. Let's talk about, let's talk about a 93-year-old man who uh, married a 23-year-old woman. Yeah, let's talk about Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin was the second person human being to step foot on the moon in 1969. And recently, he married his so-called long-time girlfriend. I don't know how long they could be. She's only 23. His long-time long girlfriend, uh, Anka Fur. I think I'm saying her name right. Anka Fur. And did I mention that Buzz Aldrin is 93 years old? And did I mention that his girlfriend, Anka, is 23 years old? Did I mention any of that? He's 93. She's 23 years old. If I did the math right, I'm not good at math. I wasn't great at math, but somebody correct me if I'm wrong. That's 70, that's a 70 year age difference. Y'all like to talk about Beyonce and Jay-Z? <laughs> oh God, this is 70 years. 70 year age difference between the two of them and they just got married. Here's my question, how do y'all feel about that? Is it okay for a 93 year old man to marry a 23 year old woman that everybody's legal and consenting? So there's nothing illegal about it, right? But does it make sense? <laughs> That's my question. Does it make sense? I mean, it might make sense for the 93-year-old, but how does it make sense for the 23-year-old woman? By the time you get to 93, everything about a 23-year-old woman that excites you probably doesn't work on its own anymore. <laughs> and I know Viagra is a wonderful thing, but you mess around and break your hip at 93 trying to use that Viagra. You know what I'm saying? Outside of the money, what joy would a 23-year-old get from being married to a 93-year-old man? I mean, just the, just, the, just the thought of a 93-year-old man naked makes me want to throw up in my mouth. <laughs> just, just the visual of that. What joy could a 23-year-old woman get out of that except for, you know, <laughs> the money? I, uh, I don't understand it. And just to be clear, I have nothing against people who are older dating people who are younger and people who are younger dating people who are older. I think you date whoever the hell you want. But, um, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not desensitized to the idea that sometimes people find people and it doesn't always turn out the way other people thought it would. 
I perfectly understand and I get it. And I think it's fine for there to be, for there to be an age difference between you and the person that you're dating. Totally fine. Totally fine. But um, should there be six generations between you and the person you're dating? <laughs> Listen, beloved, when Buzz Aldrin was born, he was born in 1930. When his wife was born, she was born in the year 2000. Buzz was born when Herbert Hoover was president, and she was born when George W. Bush was president. Buzz was born in the middle or the beginning of the Great Depression. She was born right before 9-11 happened. We were depressed, but for different reasons. We were depressed because George W. Bush was president. <laughs> I mean, this is a lot, don't you think? It really is a lot. I got more to say about this, but I want to take a break. Because the part of this story that twists and turns into your life is coming up next, right after this. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's keep going with this. One, because I got the age wrong. The wife is 63 years old, not 23. That's still 30 years apart. Does that really change a whole lot? Not to me. <laughs> 30 years separate the two of them. It's a lot of years, and he's still 93, okay? No matter how you cut it, he's still 93. I'm surprised a 93-year-old man still wants to be married. I guess if you're looking for a nurse and if you're looking for a sugar daddy, this kind of works out. But the reason I wanted to continue with this story is sort of to challenge a lot of what's going on in the culture. Because a lot of us are accepting the notions of having sugar daddies and all of that kind of stuff, sugar mamas, and it's become a common occurrence. And I just happen to think that people should want more than that. See, whether the wife is 63 or 23 or 53 or 43, the fact that Buzz Aldrin is willing to marry somebody 30 years younger than him and somebody who, you know, under normal circumstances probably wouldn't be attracted to him means that he's settling for someone who will take care of him. And she's settling for someone who probably will take care of her. And the question is, do we want to be in relationships where we're just needed? Or do we want to be in relationships where we're actually wanted and desired? I think it's fine if you want a nurse or you want a sugar daddy or a sugar mama, and that's what you're willing to put up with. If that's what you want to do, then do it. But I think human beings deserve better than that. I think we actually deserve to be loved. And we should not admit into our confidence, nor into our lives, people who can't give us that. People who just need us or want us around because they want something from us or want us around because having us around makes some part of their lives easier. It's not the basis of a wonderful relationship. It's the basis of an arrangement, a situation. I don't know Buzz Aldrin. I don't know if he's married. I don't know rather if he's in love with his wife or not. I'm not talking about them now. They're irrelevant. I'm talking about all the rest of us who settle for people who come into our lives and we know that they don't really love us as much as they say. We know that the real desire isn't there. And yet we're willing to ignore what we know and to allow them to stay so that we can have somebody laying next to us so that we don't have to sleep alone. Again, I'm not saying this is, has anything to do with Buzz Aldrin. This has nothing to do with him now. I'm talking about us and how we accept things and accept people we should be saying no to because the heart knows when it's not real. And there's people watching right now and you know that what you're in, it ain't real. 
They don't care about you. They don't love you as much as they say, and your intuition knows it. But we've convinced ourselves to ignore ourselves so that we can have something so that we don't have to be alone. I think it, it's just better to be by yourself than to be with somebody who doesn't actually want to be there. How about that? All right, let's move on. This is a story that's going to warm your heart, beloved. So check this out. Uh, Dylan Gardimer was free diving off the coast of Key West not too long ago when a strong current swept him, swept rather him away uh, from his boat. By the time he resurfaced, the current had pulled him so far away from his family that um, they never saw him come back up. So Dylan disappeared from their view. In a frantic and desperate attempt to find Dylan, the family searched the water for a half hour and then called the Coast Guard to get them to help in the search. And the irony of the story is that Dylan could see the boat, but the people on the boat could not see him. It must be a terrible moment to see the thing that has the power to save your life and not be able to reach it, but that was Dylan's condition. The current had pulled him so far out into the ocean, so far out into the sea, that he could see them, but they could not, because of how he was blending in with the water, see him. Anyway, back to the story. Eventually, Dylan stumbled upon a bamboo stick, and he used that bamboo stick to float until he was able to swim across the current and back to the reef. Yeah. He was able to swim across the current and back to the reef. Now, notice I said back to the reef and not to the boat because he never made it back to the boat. By the time he got back to the reef, his family and friends were on a boat that didn't have lights. So they had to go back to the shore, switch boats to get a boat that had lights and come back out again. Yeah, Dylan's out on the reef and he's watching the people that love him leave. And the people are leaving without realizing that Dylan is on the reef. Well, beloved, 15 minutes later, they came out to look for their friend, their son, their loved one, after they had gotten on another boat. And can I just say, God bless the people who were willing to look for us twice, the people who didn't give up and wanted to find us. They got back on the boat to look for Dylan and watch what happened. There he is! Uh, if that don't make you, if that don't give you joy, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Man gets swept out by a current, couldn't make his way back. They came back to find him, and guess what? They found him. That was the moment that they found him. God bless all the people who were looking for us, who wouldn't give up on us, who though we were drowning in the sea, in the sea of our own creation, our own craziness, sea of depression, sadness, whatever it was, they came out on boats of love to find us. And they wooed us and won us and greeted us with, with, with joy and excitement. Yeah, I'm happy for Dylan. And I'm happy for you too. And I know there was a time in your life, just like there was a time in my life, when we were lost and drowning. We could have died. And when nothing else could help, <laughs> love lifted us.
All right, here's the last thing I want to do before I take this break. Take a look at another best thing that I've seen all week. Look at this. Obstacles, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 He's just discovering you can walk. <laughs> 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 oh, don't you love that? Glad that was great. Little boy's like, this is amazing. <laughs> I can walk. Man, oh man. Listen, man. That was the great best things that I've seen all week. And listen, it wasn't complicated, just a little baby realizing he can walk. But I wonder how you might feel if you discovered some of the things that you can do. Huh? You know that was good. When we come back, we're going to uh, do some Ask Dr. Sean. Some great questions. It's crazy questions, okay? People trying to decide what they should do with their taxes and their kids. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. A little bit of breaking news. So the board that regulates emergency medical technicians in Tennessee uh, today voted to suspend the licenses of two, e two EMTs who arrived at the scene and failed to render aid to Tyree Nichols. They provided no aid for him for 19 minutes, and the board that supervises EMTs in Tennessee has voted to suspend the licenses of the two e EMTs, uh, the paramedics that arrived there. Breaking news. We've never done that on this show before. Anyway, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Ah, yeah. You guys always send me amazing videos, and this one is no different. Let's take a look. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name's Danya, and I could really use your advice. So my husband and I have been together for almost eight years. We have a beautiful 18-month-old son together. And after eight years of being together, I mean, every relationship could use a little bit of spark, sprinkle of love, and how to spice things up. So I want to know what advice you have for us as far as spicing things up in our relationship. Please help. <laughs> Great question. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for the spirit of that question. It allows me to say this. I think when people first start dating, much of the relationship is based upon physical attraction, if not sex. And that's fine. It's just a natural sort of occurrence of relationships and the way things happen to be. But the more you're together, and the two of you have been together for eight years, the more you're together, the less physical attraction and sex becomes the basis of a relationship because to be perfectly honest, you get used to each other. You get used to no matter how fine you are and you are a beautiful woman or how handsome he is and he's probably a good looking man to get that kind of good looking woman. You get used to somebody being pretty if you see pretty every day. It's like eating pancakes for every meal. You get used to it. So the more you're together, the relationship has to be based upon something other than sex and attraction. It's when people have been together a long time that the relationship needs to be based on a deeper connection. Intimacy, vulnerability, just relatability, connection. So I would say one of the ways you spice things up in the bedroom is not to try to fix it in the bedroom. Do things that are going to deepen your connection with that person. Deepen how you feel about them, the intensity of your devotion, affection, commitment. You follow what I'm saying? Because when you've been in a relationship a long time, the more connected you are to that person, the better the sex is. I think it's kind of true, unless you're young and you're just starting out, and I'm not, I'm not saying young in terms of age, I'm talking about young in terms of romance. If you don't have the connection, the sex is not as good 
as when you do actually have a connection with somebody and you're not just screwing them, you're making love to them. And there is a difference, people. <laughs> we can't talk about it on this show, but there's a difference. My point is, a lot of times when you want to spice things up in the bedroom, you have to start in the kitchen, in the living room, while they're still sitting in the car. The texts you send before they leave work, the way you hold their hand when you're not trying to undress them. Don't think of this as something you can simply fix by dressing up and role-playing or make better by those means. This is something you have to do by opening up your heart more. The more you let them in, the more they'll be glad to be there. And you will too. All right, let's do one more. Ah, someone sent me an email. Here's what it says. My boyfriend is going on a cruise with his wife. He wants me to join him on the cruise so I can enjoy myself. But of course, his wife can't know about me, and he admitted that he probably won't be able to spend any time with me. Should I join him on the cruise, or are we playing things too close for comfort? Well, I think there are other options than the fact that you're playing things too close for comfort. Let me ask you a question before I answer your question. Why is it okay for, for you to date somebody who's married to somebody else? And why is it okay for you to date somebody who's perfectly fine with keeping you a secret? And why are you okay with being somebody's secret? Why are you that kind of person? What happened in your life, in your journey, in your development that absolutely made you congruent with the kind of relationship that totally disrespects you? Why would you even want to put yourself in that situation? Number one, to be somebody else's extra. But number two, to be on a cruise and to watch this man that you obviously are into walk around and be with his wife and you got to walk past them at the shrimp bar. That's okay. You don't think that's going to affect you? To see him out in the, you know, they have, a, they have clubs at the, on the cruise, a little dance. And you're going to see him dance, slow dancing with his wife while you sit over in the corner doing what? Because I hope you don't think you're going to be getting with somebody else. Because this is a guy that likes to have his cake and eat it too. He likes to have his wife and his mistress on the cruise. So if you think you're going to get you a little nooky while he's off with his wife, he's going to have a fit. Why would you put yourself in that position? Why don't you love yourself more to say to yourself and to him, no, 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 no. Not only will I not be on the cruise with you and your wife, but I'm not the kind of person that accepts the fact that somebody else would put me in a position to be on a cruise with you and your wife. I just want you to want better for yourself. I can't make you do that. Are you playing it too close for comfort? Are you serious? You're playing with fire and the fire that you're playing with has nothing to do with him or his wife. It has everything to do with the fact that you deserve better. Anyway, thank you for watching. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you, beloved. Thank you, my Trina, Jocelyn, Tanisha, all the great people that make this show possible. And listen, everybody, y'all be good to each other, all right? Be kind to each other, because that's the only thing we can do. All right, beloved, look for me in the light. That's where I'll be. <laughs>